Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. We begin a new series of messages today called Jesus and Hebrews. And we're going to look at a certain section of the New Testament letter to the Hebrews and see what it says about Jesus Christ. And here's a good rule to remember, okay? As you read and study the Word of God, no matter what the book of the Bible, ask yourself, what does this book say about Jesus? From Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible points to Jesus, tells about his life, or explains his life and ministry. The whole of Scripture is about Jesus Christ. Folks, all of life is about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is your life. A one-word summary of um, the book of Hebrews is superior. He is the best of the best of the best of the best. And so today we're going to look at Jesus is superior to angels. And we're going to look at the letter, the, or the epistle to the Hebrews. And I'm just going to read verse 4 of chapter 1. And so he became as much, and here's that word in the NIV, superior to the angels, as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus is superior to angels. He is God. With the Father and the Holy Spirit, I said he's God, and he's uncreated. Angels are created beings. And we don't know for certain who the human author of Hebrews is, but when he lived during the New Testament era, people were worshiping angels. But this angel worship was part of a cult in the New Testament called the Gnostic, G-N-O-S-T-I-C, the Gnostic cult. Angel worship is part of the Mormon cult today. And so the human author of the Hebrews, inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, goes to great lengths to prove to the people then and to us today that only Jesus Christ is worthy of our worship, folks. He is superior to angels. If you want to look at Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? You are my son. Today I become your father. Angels are not sons of God. And again, Mormonism teaches you can become a son of God, you can become an angel and all that stuff. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Look at verse 6. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, what does he say? Let, let all the angels, let all God's angels worship him. The angels worship him. You go to verse 10. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. And so that tells us that Jesus Christ is the creator, and angels are only the created. And then you look at verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 1, and you get to the, I would say, the most important passage on angels, the most complete passage on angels in the whole Bible. In Hebrews 1:14. This passage is going to tell us four things about angels. Number one, they're spirits. Number two, they minister or serve. Number three, they're sent by the Father and the Son. And number four, they're sent to those who will inherit salvation. It says in verse 14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And so it tells us, first of all, that angels are spirits. By nature, they have no bodies. Now, angels, that's the good angels, and we're focusing on good angels today, not fallen angels, but good angels and fallen angels... Um, have, have, have no bodies, and they have limited, very limited supernatural power. We give too much power to devils and angels. They have limited supernatural power, and they, have, um, and they don't have the power of God himself. But in that limited power, they can take human form if necessary. And so you wonder, what do angels do? Why did God create them? 
And that takes me to the book of Revelation. It tells us something more about angels in Revelation in verse 5. Verse 5, beginning in verse 12. In a loud voice it says, They sang. Who's they? That's angels. And heavenly beings, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and honor and glory and praise. These angels are praising God. I look at verse 13. To him who sits on the throne, that's Jesus. That's the Father. And to the Lamb, that's Jesus. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And then I look at 7, chapter 7 of Revelation, verse 12. Amen. Praise and glory, the wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And so angels were created for one thing, to worship. And so will you and I worship God if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and will worship eternally. And Rick reflected this in his prayer. That was a great prayer. Listen, you will see when you're in heaven, you will see Jesus and you will see the Father. And folks, you will worship or burst. You will not be able to keep it in. Worship of the Lord was never going to be boring. I've heard people say that. Am I going to worship all the time? It's never going to be boring. It's never going to be tedious. It will be natural. To worship the Lord will be the desire and delight of your heart. You won't want to stop. It's going to go on forever and ever. And if you think you don't have a good voice, in heaven you will. You'll have a perfect voice, part of a perfect body. Do you believe that anything you have going for you on this earth is better than what's going to go on up there? I hope you don't. Hebrews 1.14, the, 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 the passage on angels. Their spirits are, the, are not all angels ministering spirits, but they're ministering spirits. They minister they worship and they minister. And to minister means to serve. God's prophet Elijah. What happened to God's prophet Elijah happens to you and to me. Elijah is exhausted and he's vulnerable. This is 1 Kings 19. And Elijah says, I don't want to be a prophet anymore. He says, um, I'm going out to the desert. So he goes out to the desert and he lays down under a juniper tree, which is called a broom tree in the word of God. And he says, just leave me alone. I don't want to go to work. I don't do anything. I just want to sleep. And, and you or I would say something like this. Um, I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to fix the broken, the broken board on the deck. I, I don't want to clean the kitchen. I don't want to go to school. I just want to sleep. That's where Elijah was. And if you say that never happened to you, I'll, I'll, I'll use a big word, but I'll call you a prevaricator, which means a liar. In 1 Kings chapter 4, I'm sorry, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, that's Elijah, he came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I mean, that's very much today. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestor. Then he laid down under the broom tree and fell asleep. And all at once, now listen, listen who came. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread and over hot coals baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and kind of shook him and said, wake up, guy, get up and eat, because the journey ahead of you is too much. And so he ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, Elijah traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached the Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave, and there he spent the night. Maybe you feel like Elijah. Maybe you say, you know, I'm spinning my wheels with my life. I'm not accomplishing a whole lot. And then one day you're in Lord and Taylor's, and I use that store only because this is a, because someone told me that they had an instance like this. You go into Lord and Taylor's, and someone walks up to you, 
I says, I know you, but you don't know me. And that thing you did, that project you did or whatever it is, that thing you did, man, it was good. It was really good. And you never saw that person before in your life. Angels who knew right where you are? I have no idea. Maybe you're having a day when you don't feel so pretty. You can do nothing with your hair. I have that every day. And your clothes don't match and you can't coordinate anything and you have to go out so you're out somewhere and somebody walks up to you and says, that is a beautiful bracelet. Where did you get that bracelet? Makes you feel pretty good, huh? Angels. One thing they do is they appear sometimes as people. I'm not saying that's angels, but you never know, do you? I mean, God's man, Dan, and his fellow governors go to the king and they say, we think everybody should pray to you, O king, or or be thrown into a pit of hungry lions. And the king says, I like that. Let it be law. And so these detractors go to the king and say, well, Daniel still prays to his God three times a day. And he's not praying to you. Therefore, he should be thrown into the pit of lions. And the king says to himself, I've been had. I've been had. He says, "Uh oh, what did I do? And you know the story, angel shut the lion's mouth. Angel shut the lion's mouth. And I saw this one picture. Now, it's only an artist's conception, but the king opens the lion's pit. He looks down, and he sees Daniel. And this is so neat, snuggled, snuggled. He snuggled, sleeping with those big cats, okay? Angels worship, folks. Angels minister. They serve you. They protect us. Hebrews 1.14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve? And the big word there is sent. We're going to look at that, sent to serve. And who do they serve? Those who will be the heirs of salvation. And that means all believers of people who will one day be believers. So now we need to bring this word of God back home to our lives. We go to he- back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. Angels worship him. It's not the other way around. We do not worship angels, but the devil wants you to worship angels. See, what the devil will do is he'll take something really good and make it really bad because angels are really, 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 really good, but the devil can make them really, really, really bad when we worship them because our worship should be directed toward Jesus Christ. And so angels, in effect, become a substitute or a lookalike for Jesus Christ, and the devil wants you to worship them. That was going on in the New Testament era. They become a counterfeit. The devil is the greatest counterfeiter. Now, you may not worship angels, but how about religion? How about church? How about having Christian friends? That's all good. If I would ask you, why are you going to heaven? How many of you would say, you would reason like this, or maybe you you wouldn't say it out loud, but you think it to yourself. You'd reason like this. I belong to my church. I'm somewhat active in my church. I even read my Bible every day. My friends call me and ask me to pray for them, and I pray for them all the time. We have some very close friends from our church, almost as close as family. That's all good. That's all so, so good. Thank you, Lord, for all that. But is that what you trust? Somebody says, why are you going to heaven? And you say all of the above. Church, religion, friends, all that stuff. Then you know what? You're not. It is so, it's a counterfeit, don't you see? You're not. I mean, you got to ask yourself, what do I trust? Why am I going to heaven? If you trust all that stuff, you're not, and demon angels are rejoicing. It becomes a matter of what you trust. And the same deal, religion, which is really good, can become a counterfeit for Jesus Christ, which is the very best. Let's say you're so blessed. I mean, very, very blessed. And you can afford to take nice vacations. You can afford to donate your car to Charity Motors and have a tax write-off and all that stuff. And you really have no financial concerns. And this is very, very subtle because these are blessings. And these are blessings from God. And, you know, and inherently, they're a good thing. I mean, God delights to bless us. And these are good things. But when a problem comes into your life, 
And your first reaction is to say, okay, I can buy my way out of this, or I'm solvent enough to get myself out of this, and your trust is in that stuff and not in the Lord Jesus Christ. All those good things become a counterfeit. The devil counterfeits all that good stuff, and he makes it bad stuff. I mean, so good and at the same time so bad. I guess what I'm getting at, folks, is this. We need to do some heart checks. And we need to look inside ourselves and we need to ask ourselves, what am I trusting? What am I trusting for eternal life? I mean, the devil is a master counterfeiter. Hebrews 1.14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? Angels are ministering spirits. When you're in the dumper, they will minister to you. They will bring you food and water and tell you to eat. When you're in the lion's den, they'll make you cover with the big cats. Listen to this passage. Are they not all ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit eternal life or inherit salvation? And the key word there, folks, is sent. That's the word I have circled in my Bible. The, the key word, seriously, the key word there is sent. The Father and the Lord Jesus Christ himself send angels and that's what makes Jesus Christ superior to the angels. God is uncreated. Angels are created beings. God is omnipresent. That means God sees everything. He's present everywhere. Jeremiah 23, 24 reads like this. Do I not fill, 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 fill? Heaven and earth says the Lord. God's everywhere. He sees everything. Angels can only see, at least when they take human form, they can only see what's in front of them and what's around them. And God's omniscient. That means he knows everything. That means he's everywhere, everywhere present. He's omnipresent. He sees everything. Angels don't know everything, folks. Angels don't see everything. And there's lots of, angels can only be in one place at one time. And there's lots of music out there that says, angels watching over me. That is just bad theology. That is such bad, bad theology, folks, because angels can't watch over you. Angels can't see you. Only God sees everything you do. He sees right where you are. And the word of God says he sends. God sends. He sends. He sends his angels. Angels are sent by God. Hebrews 1.14. Now we're getting into one of the most precious, precious truths in all of Holy Scripture. This is, this is very special because, folks, we put limits on God. That is the second commandment. The second commandment speaks of creating idols or images your own image of God, reducing God to something you think he should be. And we do that, man. I, I look at my own life as I confess my sins, and I think I break the second commandment more than most. And, you know, when we put limits on God, folks, you know, that is a sin. That is sin. And we need to go to God, and we, say, we, we need to say, God, forgive me for that sin for Jesus' sake, and expand my whole mind, my whole heart, my whole vision of you. But you see, you think and I think there's so many people, there's so many people on the face of this earth, God can't. Now, you don't say that out loud, but, but, but we think like that. God can't care about me when there's so many other people with so many hurts and so many problems more important than mine. God can't possibly care about me. That's limiting God. I mean, how, how God can isolate you in me as if we were the only person on earth and give us his full attention and, and, and devote all he is, his love, his power, his everything to us. How God can do that, folks, I have no idea. I mean, I, I, God didn't reveal that to me in scripture. I have no idea, but I'll tell you what I know. I know Psalm 139, and I've said this before, man, you gotta read 139 once a month. Everybody should read Psalm 139 once a month. Listen to what Psalm 139 says. 
And we're talking about putting limits on God. God can't care about me and so on and so forth. You need to know Psalm 139. This is so good. Oh, Lord, you've searched me and known me. That's verse 1. Verse 2, you know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. He knows every time you sit down, every time you stand up. Look at this. You perceive my what? Thoughts. Every thought. That can be frightening. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Look at this, verse 3. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar, see that, with all. I've got all circled. You are familiar with all my ways. Then I jump to verse 7. Where can I go from your Holy Spirit? Where, where can I flee from your presence? Look at that. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. I think my favorite part of this psalm is verse 17. Because we say God really can't care about our little deal. God's got so many people to think about. How can he think about me? Look at verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Your thoughts toward me, how vast. Well, how vast. How many are God's thoughts toward me? Look at this. Were I to count them, your thoughts toward me, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Well, that's kind of a metaphoric way of saying God's mind and heart is on you all the time. And the Holy Spirit put that truth in the Bible for us to believe, man. I remember one day I was like Elijah when the angel fed him in the, in, in the desert. I was kind of in my dumper, and I went for a walk in the neighborhood. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm spinning my wheels. Nothing is right in my life, and nothing is going well in the church. And I was just in my dumper, okay? I was having my own personal pity party. And I came home from that walk, and I remember, and that's when you were working. She was at work that day, and I came home and opened the door, and the phone was ringing. And I picked the phone up, and it was a guy who said, you know, we couldn't say hi to you, greet you at the door, because we had to get out of church quick last Sunday. But we came to your church, and it was so great. And he said, he said, and he, he, he gave us all the accolades and he went through everything he liked. He liked the music. He, he especially was impressed by the warmth of the people. He liked the message. And he's given us all these accolades. And he says, we've been looking for months to find a church and now we have found it. And that call came at that moment. That's coincidence, right? No, he's like Elijah. God saw me right where I was. He sees you. Come on. You have had an experience like that in your life. Just think about it. Come on. Take a second and think about that. You've had an experience like that. And maybe you just said coincidence, man. God, he, he knows everything. He knows your thoughts from afar, man. He, he knows everything that's going on in your life. Hey, by the way, that family never came back. They never came back. <laughs> never, ever met those people in my life. Never saw them before. But it was, a good, it was good at the moment, you know. <laughs> You don't know. That, that, that is so precious to me. I mean, God saw me on that walk. He knew my heart. He worked in some other guy's heart to call me at that very moment. And I take it right back to Psalm 139, verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them where I'd account, where I'd account them. They would outnumber the grains of sand. See, so angels don't see you or watch over you, folks. The Lord Jesus Christ and the Father in heaven do that. Angels can't see you. Only the Lord can see you. I mean, the Father and the Lord see what's coming at you to harm you physically. And I'll tell you what happens, man. I can just see this drama in heaven. Something's coming at you to harm you physically. And the Lord says to his angel, go immediately. And they're there immediately. I mean, you can't even guess what the angels have protected you from. We can't possibly know, like in our cars. I mean, I'll go right back to Hebrews 1.14. 
It says, are they not, are, are not all angels ministering spirits, ministering spirits, angels minister. Now listen, they serve those who will inherit salvation. And I'll tell you what, unsaved people benefit. Unsaved people benefit because angels are there by God's covenant love to protect his believers. And yes, there will be times in your life when you're going to be hurt when people are even going to die, and you say, where were God's angels? Did God really see this coming at me? Of course he did. That's in God's word. And I don't claim to understand at all times the sovereign mind of God. But when God declines to send his angels, he saw it coming. He allowed it to happen. But when he allows it to happen, he always has a reason, and he always has a good purpose for that. And so, yeah, once in a while, God's going to decline to send his angels. And so the angels protect us spiritually. I mean, physically, there's also spiritual attacks on us. I mean, I look at Ephesians um, chapter 6, and this is verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood or people, but against, too, the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. See, we struggle. You know what? Devils attack us. And God allows that. I keep saying this. I, I, I hope you know this, that devils are not loose cannons. God has to allow them into your life, but he does. And, and we talked about the four Ds before, man. They attack you, man, spiritually. They, try, they, they begin with disappointment, and they try and get you down to the second D, and that's discouragement. And they take you down to the third D, and that's, that's depression. And then they take you down to the basement. That's the fourth D, despair, where you don't even want to live. And, that's, and, and that, that, that's where Elijah was. And like I said, God allows that. But devils do that, man. Devils relish to do that because they want to take away the joy of your faith, so you're a lousy representative of Christianity. And I'll tell you what, the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven sees every spirit attack on you. I think if God would allow us to see, to see the combat going on around us, I don't think we could handle it. I think we'd have to bury our, our head in our sand. I, I think we'd run away and turn the other way. I think we'd close our eyes. If we could just see the dueling, the combat going on in the heavenlies over you and me. And folks, I need to say this. It, it should so humble us to think that we mean so much to God that all this warfare, all this combat, if we could see it, is going on all around us. Verse 4, while he himself, this is Elijah, went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down on the broom tree, and said, oh Lord, I want to die. Take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree, and he fell asleep. And we excuse this, and we say it happens to everybody. Folks, God tell you, Christ died. For your self-pity. He died for that. He surrendered his life for that extreme focus on ourselves and what we don't have that we think we should have and what's not happening to us that we think should be happening to us. That's self-pity. And Jesus Christ gave everything for that. And when you're in that, the throes of self-pity, Please think about God's covenant love. Angels are part of his covenant love, and the angel he sends to protect you and bless you and keep you from physical harm and spiritual danger. Like I'll say it again, man. You don't know what God keeps from happening to us physically and spiritually. 
I mean, you got to preach it yourself, man. Just, just go back to Psalm 139 and preach it yourself and, and say, um, you know, just read 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And you say, that's talking about me. That's me. I've got that going for me. That's how you combat self-pity. Listen, when we're pitying ourselves, we are no joy to be around, I'll tell you. I mean, you and me are drags and everyone else around us, I'll tell you. And so you preach it yourself. And you say, my God cares so much about me. He cares so much. It's right here in his word. I have no business thinking like this. I have no reason to think like this. Thank God. Just thank God. People, do you ever think about this, that, that God the Father in heaven has feelings? And we see that in Jesus, who is also God. Because, you know, we see Jesus weep. We see Jesus rejoice. And what you see in Jesus Christ, that is God the Father. The Father has feelings. And when we say thank you, we're saying to the Father, I know this is from you, and I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I don't deserve this, and I know you give it to me because you sent your only Son into the world to die for my sins, and I know all that. And Father in heaven, I am so grateful for even stuff I don't see. I'm so grateful for your angels. I'm so grateful for your protection. I'm so grateful for your covenant love. I'm so grateful for all those angels going to war for this humble sinner. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.